1: Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. My name is Kimberly Cook, and I'm the Assistant Director here at the Hendricks Center. And today, we are going to be talking about modesty in the church. We hope to be engaging the general conversation around purity culture, and hopefully moving a little bit even past that conversation. And to help us get there, we are joined by Jonathan Popluda, the lead pastor of Harris Creek Baptist Church, and our resident scholar, speaker, and Hendricks Center research associate, Christina Crenshaw. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks
2: for having us. Thank
1: you. Absolutely. All right, so first, before we launch into the meat of our conversation. I just want to give uh, everybody who's listening and watching an opportunity to hear how did you first begin reflecting on this area? How did you encounter the concepts of modesty culture, purity culture, chastity, all of that? How did you get to the point where you were thinking through it and having thoughts to the level that you would be (laughs) a guest on a podcast? So um, Jonathan, who's also known as JP, so if I call him JP, that is still the same person. Uh, Jonathan, why don't we start with you and then we'll hear from Christina.
2: Yeah, thanks Thanks for asking. So for 12 years, I led a young adult ministry called The Porch, and in doing that, we would uh, do retreats, and in going to those retreats, you would, you know, we would... Uh, there's water slides and swimming pools and lake parties and all the things and just trying to think through oh okay what instruction should we give uh, the participants to help you know just help them be wise help protect them from others all of the things and really I would say over the past 12 years there's been this shift where things that were largely acceptable, emails that you'd send that no one would, would ever question, now we are like, wait a minute, that's that's body shaming, that's out of bounds, hey, that, that stirs up, uh, that feeds purity culture and creates shame for people and re-traumatizes and triggers and all of those things. So, you you have to be extremely thoughtful on the topic in the way that you approach the topic, and I'm sure we're going to discuss it, but there's, there's ways that the church has missed it. And I think for some of your listeners, I think we're at a risk when we just kind of throw out everything and say, oh, you know, he or she has used some of those terms. So they must be in that camp and I'm not going to listen any longer. And I think you have to approach these things with an open mind and and ready to learn. And that's how I want to approach them.
1: Awesome. And then Christina, how did you start thinking through these things?
3: I think when I was first intentional about considering, well, what is purity culture and what does it mean to, you know, engage dating and relationships with a semblance of intentionality and purity, that was probably my senior year of high school when the book I Kiss Dating Goodbye came out. I don't know if I would say that that was the height or the beginning, but it definitely falls under the umbrella of Culture, and I remember reading the book and actually thinking this is helpful. The thesis of the book, anyway, which is let's not be casual or cavalier about how we treat fellow brothers and sisters. Let's be, you know, intentional with the way that we date and pursue people. I remember thinking that's actually really helpful conversation that I don't really remember people having beforehand. And I think, you know, similar to UJP, there were times you know, primarily in high school, where things were said in youth group that I thought, oh, well, that feels a little misogynistic, or that's directed towards women, and it sort of, you know, negates and disqualifies men from the conversation. But holistically, I remember encountering Purity Culture and thinking, oh, this is actually really freeing to have some guidelines. So that was my first encounter with what I would consider Purity Culture, was senior year of high school, reading, I Kissed, Dating, Goodbye. <laughs>
1: So, and I'm so glad that you bring that up. And and that's kind of what we're talking about, even when we were using the term purity culture. And something I read said that uh, I Kissed Dating Goodbye was one of the main textbooks of (laughs) that culture. I thought that was an interesting way to put it. So I think it is worth recognizing, and you just did, but I'm going to reiterate a little bit, that we there is an element that we need to be very deeply thankful for those who, um, for the heart behind those in the church who, during that era, who were trying to address societal issues of um, various kinds, and and they were doing it the best they could, and they were trying to do it in a way that was accessible, especially to teen, to teenagers, and they were they were really trying, and there were some good things that came out of it, especially if you look at some of the statistics that changed after. That era in the church, it's pretty startling what they really did accomplish societally. Um, That is not to say that there weren't some negative ramifications that I'm sure we'll touch on in in a second, but we do want to be super thankful for what they did. And we also want to be really honest with ourselves, even if it doesn't fit with society, (laughs) what society seems to say. We want to be really honest with ourselves and reflective about what Scripture says about um, just instruction and warning on sexual sins and chastity, and just everything in that in that arena, biblical vision for for sexuality, all all of that. So we want to be honest to what we see there. So my first question for you all is: Let's dig in to Scripture and what Scripture has to say, and um, some general definition of terms and what we how we should be thinking about all these different terms. Um, So what do you guys see as the biblical roots for these concepts of modesty, chastity, biblical vision for sexuality? What do you see in scripture that we need to look at and say, okay, we've got, we've really got a hold to these things and we can figure out what that looks like in our current context. But these are, these are Mm non-negotiable, you know, instruction. I'm going to let the theologian
2: go the, first. The yeah, that's nice, lead pastor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in 1 Corinthians 6, 18-20, uh, um, flee sexual immorality. All other person, all other sins a person commits are outside the body. Whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God. You are not your own. You've been bought by a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. And so we have this. This is kind of out the gate. Hey, Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. We. This is how we need to think of. Sexual morality. So then the debate comes: Hey, what is sexual morality? The word "pornaya," uh, you know, and really it is—it's anything other than the the kind of intimacy that God allows, which which we believe it is, or I believe—I'll speak for myself—in uh, the context of marriage between a husband and a wife. And from there, you have First Timothy two, you have First Peter three. These touch on these are your your classic. Um, modesty scriptures that people will go to that, that both essentially say something very similar that is, hey, don't let your beauty come from the outside. And so if somebody's going to attack the scriptures, uh, these are most likely one of the three verses on the topic at hand that they're going to throw stones at, and so we just have to dig in and say, okay, what do these what do these say? Uh, who was it being said to? What does it mean? What did it mean for them? And what what does it mean forever? Like, what does it mean for everyone? Uh, others are you know keep keep the marriage bed um, pure, undefiled. Hebrews. Proverbs 31, uh, 30, charm is deceitful, beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. I mean, these are some of the scriptures that are going to come up pretty quick in the topic.
3: Yeah. I think um, because I knew that you would be able to cite more scriptures than I I could. But I I think, too, when I think about, you know, your body being a holy temple, Mm -hmm. you know, the Lord says that your body is a temple. And so it's really a question of, you know, are what we, do, our thoughts, our actions, you know, the, the way that we, our posture, our heart posture, our body posture, is it honoring to the Lord? Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think that there are some different, you know, maybe more nuanced conversations to be have within the context of marriage versus, you know, singleness. But I do, but, but what is shared between marriage and singleness is really the question is this honoring to God is this honoring with my body is this honoring with um, you know the way that I'm representing the Lord and you know when we talk about modesty yes it encompasses purity culture you know certainly it's concentric with a lot of other areas but really modesty is your heart posture so much of what we see in culture is indicative of what is happening on the inside and so it's a heart question of you know what's going on with your heart that would then lead you to engage others, the world, this way. Uh, Go ahead.
2: No, I think think you crushed that. You you brought two things to mind. I I think my favorite scripture on modesty, and it really reframes the conversation, is Philippians 2. Right? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain mm. conceit, but in humility consider others more important than yourselves. And so we follow a Savior who gave everything, Mark 10, for he did not come to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so at the center of our faith is a Savior who put everyone else's interest above his own. And that's really what we're seeking to do. And we do that with our words. We do that with what we wear. We do that with with how we act. I mean, this this is just an aspect of it. And people are going to say, well, that's old-fashioned. You know, and what about God? It raises up a lot of questions that I think we can give answers to. But we have to start with that framework. Am I putting myself first or am I putting others first? And Jesus says, out of the mouth, the heart speaks. And I would also say, you know, what we put on. And the way that we, and what we take off and, and what we show off is also displays our heart what's happening within our heart and he, he just is, is essentially saying what happens on the outside shows what's happening on the inside and so do we have uh, like do we dress in such a way and act in such a way that we're trying to take the attention off of ourselves and consider others more important than ourselves?
3: Yeah, and, and I think it's it's worth noting, I mean, this is a conversation, you know, as part of modesty in the church, that there are different cultural contexts, Absolutely. right? You know, like I've been on a number of overseas mission trips where shorts aren't allowed because... Absolutely apparently that's really a very American tradition to wear shorts or, you know, just it's a more modest culture yeah. in general, particularly if I'm in the Middle East, you know, that sort of thing. And so I do think, you know, when in Rome, you know, sure. you, you honor the the Roman traditions, you know, to quote Paul, yeah. you know, so to speak. So we want to make sure that we're honoring yeah. the culture that we're in, but that doesn't really remove us, you know, whether we're in the Middle East or we're in America, whatever culture we're in or whatever time period we're in, it doesn't really change the heart question of like,
2: why right.
3: why like, are you doing this
2: you keep using that word which i think is the one and done it's it's the the end all be all on this subject is honor like do we are we showing honor to god are we showing honor to others and are we honoring ourselves in in what we do say act and and in this case where because that argument's going to be used against this topic to say oh well you know if it's universal if you go to to africa here you know they they, they'll dress in this way over here in haiti and and it's like no but what is honoring in that culture and and how and what's happening in our heart and anytime we take that wait 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 hold hold no you know and we we kind of dig our heels and we put up our fists we're ready to fight well now we're operating in pride and so what does it look like to take a deep breath and say okay lord what would you have me do what would be honoring to you
1: So, that again, and that because we are talking about so many potentially different cultural contexts and even, you know, contextual situations, (laughs) that kind of thing, it I feel like it is really difficult to say, okay, well, but here's what it means to be honoring, especially when we're talking about like we as a church or we as a youth group or, you know, um, or, you know, a singles ministry or we, this is what, you know, is the answer just to say, hey, this is what we mean by that. And we're not going to necessarily say this is what scripture means. Is it, is there something in scripture and church tradition that makes it clear or at least a little clearer what might be constituted as honoring? Because, you know, we've taught, and, and maybe this is even the point to really talk about some of the really great things and some of the harmful things that purity culture did introduce. And how do we just, how do we figure out what that really looks like in a helpful way? Does that make sense?
3: Yeah, it does. I think what you might, I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, Kim, but I think what you might be hitting on or getting at is how do we discern like legalism from like the heart motivation? Because, you're right. Some of this can become legalistic very quickly and we can all think of different fundamental church situations or even other cultures, you know, outside of Christianity, where are like that just feels like sheer legalism and it doesn't really get to the heart or it doesn't get to, you know, what scripture says and, you know, New Testament, Old Testament, there's quite a few guidelines. But New Testament, there's a lot of freedom in Christ. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is like the biggest theme of the New Testament. There is freedom in Christ. You know, a lot of things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. And so I do think, particularly for people, you know, who are. Christians and you know believe in this Christian narrative of redemption fall, you know, restoration redemption that we we look at you know what is our our heart motive here for our actions because there isn't going to be a verse for do I wear the one piece or the two piece to the swim party, you know sort of thing. And and again context you know what I would wear with my family at a beach might be different than what I would wear to like a co-ed co-mingling mm-hmm. you know singles church party. But it, but again, that doesn't kind of change like, well, what does scripture say mm-hmm. about the overflow of your heart? Mm-hmm. And so part of what purity culture may be missed was the heart motive. They focus perhaps, I've heard the argument, too much on the rules and not enough on the why.
2: I think That's good. I'd would, I would give another word that I would put just under honoring uh, in order of importance and it's thoughtful. And mm-hmm. so you said, Kim. It's hard to know what's honoring to others. And I, I think if we go into that thoughtfully, and if we just give consideration to how they may feel, that's where I see a, a lot of uh, millennials and now Gen Z just skipping that step of, well, I didn't even think about that. Well, we don't, as followers of Jesus, we don't have the luxury to not think about that. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like, okay, what if, if a group of guys are playing volleyball in a co ed environment and they all take their shirts off, you know? They just need to be thoughtful. Like, hey, how does this make our our women friends feel? Now, there's people that are going to hear me say that and say, "Man, that is ridiculous. That is absolutely insanity." And I say, you you can never be too thoughtful in in considering someone else's feelings and emotions, right? And I think that loving others is often just inconveniencing ourselves for their good. And so I might be hot, you know, with my shirt on, but that's okay if if that's helpful to other people. How can I live in consideration to other people? How can I be thoughtful?
1: You know, I, I've done a lot of work with an, an organization called Relational Wisdom, and so has our center. And one of the fundamental principles that really challenged me, <clears throat> excuse me challenged me uh, was the idea more or less of the application of the gospel to each and every interaction that I have with another person. Mm-hmm. And so when I it, when I'm you know going through my day, even though I'm tired or I'm stressed, I need to be willing to die to myself and you know think of the the you know, perhaps custodial person that's right there with me and, mm-hmm. and take a moment and say, hello, and how are you and recognize them as a, as a person and, or think through my, um, my interactions that I would have with my coworker, you know, think, think through them, like you're saying with regards to being thoughtful. And I guess when you were, when you were talking JP, it made me think of that same idea of I am willing to, to a degree, to crawl up on the cross and die to uh-huh. what I would prefer or, you know, even being willing to take the effort to do it, uh-huh. you know, and, and that in and of itself is a way of applying the gospel to your relationships. Uh-huh. So... All right. So we've talked a little bit about purity culture. Is there anything else you would like to say about that, um, about that movement or where it even is nowadays? Are there still people who hold to that? Um, mm-hmm. What is the current state of that conversation?
2: I just think, I think the, I, I, Christina nailed it, um, Dr. Crenshaw, on the idea, <laughs> the reality that if we focus on the rules, then we miss the heart. And and so when we talk about purity culture if we're saying hey don't do this here's the here's the boundary stay within the lines and so I'm a I'm a dad of two daughters and I at an early age I mean I my my daughters are 13 and 15 and we talk hey sex is good it's a gift from God God invented it he he it is the brilliant idea of the father son and holy spirit and and one day my prayer for you is that you would get to enjoy it in the context of marriage and what you do outside of marriage is going to steal from that. Now, I've, now my story is that. Like I wasn't a believer when I was dating and I, I wasn't following Jesus and so I, I have this I have a sexual past. I have sexual addiction in my past, pornography addiction in my past and I and I have stolen th- things from my marriage prior to ever even meeting my wife. Now there is grace and there's healing that takes place and I I get to experience incredible freedom in Jesus, but C.S. Lewis says that when you climb over the fence to taste the fruit, it doesn't taste as sweet when you enter through the gate. And I think that's just an amazing metaphor when we're talking about purity, that the person that we're speaking with has to understand that we're not trying to take something from them, we're trying to give something to them. And, and really, that's God's expression toward us. He's not trying to keep us from good, He's trying to give us great or the better, if you will and uh and i think our culture has just made sex our god like it, we have put it on such a high platform that it is it is the ultimate entitlement and don't you dare try to take any kind of sexual pleasure away from me cuz i am entitled to all any and all kinds of sexual pleasure that's that's the way the culture feels i'm speaking for our culture and that's just not true like sometimes we want the freedom to do something that we don't have the freedom to stop doing and that's my story with pornography i wanted the freedom to look at pornography but then i got stuck in that cage and I, and i had the freedom to do whatever i wanted inside that cage but i could not get out of that cage Right, And so, I couldn't experience the joys of life because I'm stuck in the cage of pornography. And that's not freedom.
3: Yeah. And I think this is tangentially related and worth noting. But so much of why we aren't permitted to speak into sexuality is because it's be- it's become identity, yeah. right? You know, and and actually DTS little shout out for you know you guys did an entire conference on healthy sexual identity. That's a you know available for people to go and look at. They had the um, CMDA Christian Medical Dental Association come and do this conference on you know healthy sexuality identity, but. I mean, arguably, at least in Western culture more than ever before, our sexuality has become so much of our identity. So to speak into places of brokenness feels like an assault Mm -hmm. on someone's identity. And that's what's hard about that. But I think The flip side to that I would say is the need for community and accountability. That sexual purity or just even purity of heart outside of sexuality isn't really something you can solely do alone. Like you really do need community. I'm actually, I want to give an example I think is kind of funny and it involves you and it's not related to purity culture specifically but we had jp and monica over for dinner and then jp texted me afterwards and was like hey i just want to let you know because i would want someone to tell me that your son you know you've met christopher my nine-year-old taught my son an inappropriate you know bad Adult word, and I was so thankful, JP. It I felt loved by community. I felt known. I felt like I wasn't raising my children alone. Like that really was important to me. It mattered to me. And I think within the context of modesty in the church, I really want community to speak into my life and to say, "Hey, in love, here's a place you may want to work on with you know your own life or your kids or you know I would want someone to tell me." And so I think that that's just a great example of community. Refined each other and iron sharpening iron and you really can't do purity or modesty alone like you need a community you need a tribe of people following jesus loving jesus to run the race with you
0: this episode is brought to you by the grace enough podcast Listen to these conversations and more by searching Grace Enough Podcast on your favorite listening app or by visiting graceenoughpodcast.com. So I do
1: have another question. Is this just a conversation that impacts teenagers in the church or even singles, you know, that we've brought up, or are there broader ramifications for this conversation, because I think that it really does impact more than just how we train up um, people who are either growing into the adult world or trying to navigate um, a world where there are sexual options for singles today and whether or not they choose to take part or not, you know, as a believer is something that they're wrestling through. But I think that it has you know, JP, you talked about it a little bit with regard to stealing from your marriage ahead of time, but what? just give me y'all's thoughts mm. as it relates to who is this conversation really for?
2: Yeah, everyone across the board. I mean, so even even as I have the privilege of shepherding a church, I mean, sexual sin amongst marriage couples is is rampant right now. I don't know if it's COVID or just a, a new season I'm in and, and where I'm, Uh, you know, the conversations and the circles that I'm in right now, but I'm seeing a lot of that, and the root of it is, you know, you said earlier, purity of mind. Like, if Mm -hmm. you get the purity of mind thing right, everything else, and and we use the mind, as Christians, we use the mind and heart a little bit interchangeable, which can be confusing, but uh, I I think the Scripture does, too. uh, And so, if we just begin to think purely, That's going to be necessary to a second grader. That's going to be necessary to a 17-year-old. That's going to be necessary to a a 22-year-old, a 47-year-old, and a 63-year-old. Like all across the board, I think we want to have our thoughts pure, and therefore our actions follow that. And that will look, you know, uh, different in a different season. but. I think, as in the way that we dress, you know, now as a married person, like I want the way that I dress to be honoring to my wife. Um, I want it to be honoring to my children. I want it to be honoring to the congregation. Like I have to think about those things.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, really, because you're not just an ambassador for yourself or your family, you're an ambassador for for Christ. Um, You know, I think we both have extensive work with college students. I've taught college students at the undergrad level, you have shepherd, you know, college students single, you know, right out of right out of college. And so I do think that research would support that there is more of a, you know, sexual, I guess, proclivity within that age group, you know, like males and, you know, and females are only fertile for so long. So I think that there is certainly like a biological and a research based argument for that. But to JP's point, larger and broader than just Sexuality and purity. When we talk about the renewing of our heart and the renewing of our mind, and you know, really understanding again to bring it back to community, it's really hard to hide sin mm-hmm. when you are walking closely with the body of mm-hmm. Christ. Or it is harder. I mean, not impossible. And so I think that you know, no, this is not a conversation purity culture. Exp- Exclusively situated and centered on young people, by by any means, um, you know, I've done extensive work too with anti trafficking and mm-hmm. pornography, and so that the, the the concentric relationship between those two things is um, is is real, and I mean, there's a correlation. And that happens with all age groups, but I do wonder if we aren't discipling our young people as well anymore because we're afraid of the conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe there's been such a backlash to purity culture mm-hmm. that it's almost like we don't have the conversation really mm-hmm. at all anymore. There's yep. sort of a discipleship crisis with with purity culture and modesty, and you know what that means and the reflection of our heart to to the world.
2: I think it. I think it comes from. Like at the foundation of this is is just like you know in Romans eight he talks about the sin and I mean the the flesh and the spirit and it's just this this spirit of I want to do whatever I want my body my choice like at the at the center of these things like hey I want to do I want to wear I want to act I want to go I want to say I want to drink whatever i want and 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 this is my body i can i can dress it or decorate it however i want and the problem with that is the scripture do you not know that your body is the temple of the holy spirit who's in you whom you've received, you you are not your own. Mm -hmm. You've got that body on loan. It belongs to the Creator of the heavens and the earth. Another great purity verse, Romans 12, 1 and 2, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Before that he says, therefore I urge you, in view of God's mercy, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And so this at at the foundation of this to, to combat that spirit of selfishness or self centeredness or pride or I can do whatever I want is no, I belong to God and at every turn I should do whatever He wants. And as, as a as the male voice between the three of us, I just I am not in any way at any point in this podcast or discussion speaking directly to women. Like yeah. this is a male and female issue, and so I, I want to make sure that that's clear because I think sometimes ladies can feel like oh, when you talk about modesty, you're talking to women. No, no. Like even if you go back to my volleyball analogy, no. It, like guys have to be thoughtful. Guys have to be honoring as do women.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And again, yeah, sorry, go ahead, Christina.
3: Well, again, you know, if, if this is, you know, transcendent to the heart, you know, the body and the mind are, you know, connected to our outer appearance, then it isn't just a female issue. It really is a male female, you know, Mm -hmm. what is the condition of what's going on inside your heart?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I was actually off of that. I, I do want to talk a little bit about, the role of women in this conversation, because it has been so strongly, I guess the responsibility for this conversation has been so strongly put in the female camp (laughs) at time. And, um, and I want to get y'all's thoughts with regard to this conversation surrounding modesty and the church and how it interacts with um, feminism and the idea that, that in talking so much about modesty, that you're still, especially with regard to women, that you're still essentially sexualizing their bodies, even if you're, you know, trying not to, because you're trying to have modesty take control. What are y'all's thoughts with that? As far as, um, like you, you talked about some of the backlash to the point that we don't we're not 100% sure how to address it with our kids these days, let's let's talk a little bit about what that backlash really is and some of the critiques that have come about, even beyond just the evangelical church kind of looking back at purity culture, but even the wider conversation around sexual abuse and sexual assault, and Mm -hmm. again, the feminist critique.
3: Yeah, I like how you're deferring to me Mm -hmm. on this one. Um, I want to start. Bible verses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, give me feminism. Well, I I do want to say I want to start because I have a very harsh critique of. There's been four waves of feminism. Some people are arguing that we're entering a fifth wave. Although it's hard to define it when you're in it, it'll have to be retrospectively that they do. I want to say that there's so many aspects and facets of feminism for which I am thankful and I have benefited: the right to vote, the right to equal pay and a place at the table in the workplace that there have been so many great things that women who have come before me have done in the name of promoting women one of the things that has not been i think beneficial to women has been the sexual revolution you know from that we see you know for example like roe v wade we see um you know sort of like sexual pleasure on demand. And again, you know, that conflating our sexual identity with our right to, you know, access to that. And so it grieves me that um, so much of what the church is shaped by is culture. You know, we talk about culture within the church, but we can't have that conversation divorced from our cultural influences. And the sexual revolution has definitely Um, which was largely driven by feminism, has had an influence on how we see our bodies inside the church. And I don't know, again, going back to how not everybody is thoughtful and pauses to think about like the apologetics for what they do and they believe, I don't know that people always recognize that they've been very culturally influenced by different theories within culture, and that's influencing their hermeneutics or their apologetics in a way that They're not necessarily recognizing um, as they like enter conversations with people or engage with them. So I think in answer to, you know, the question, there have been a lot of great things that feminism has done for women. But when it comes specifically to purity culture, I'm hard pressed to think of many off the top of my head that have really been advantageous for women
2: the pendulum always just we just overcorrect and just swings one one direction and then it swings and that's too far the other way and so you you have the 60s you have the sexual revolution you have the invention of birth control you have the um uh, abortions made available and and really the, so much of that is used to allow us to back to that spirit of self and to do whatever we want to do and and try to mitigate the consequences, but you can't get rid of the consequences of the heart. You know, like what that's why he says, that "Whoever sins like this sins against their own body." He he takes that and he puts it in this kind of special category. He's like, "You don't understand. You're hurting you. You're hurting you." Like this, this is has uh, you know an, an impact on you, and so, um, I yeah, I just. I think then you have the purity culture, and that's that pendulum swinging the other direction, right? And then it's, you know, it just goes back and forth, goes back and forth. I always just try to, I try to get this book and just read it almost like I'm on a deserted island, because I'm like, if there is a God and He created the heavens and the earth and He knows all things, He knows the the end from the beginning, then He's just going to be so much more, you know, His foolishness is wiser than my wisdom. And so I look at it and I'm like, all right, what does it say? And how can we apply it to these topics? And it has a lot to say about these things. And I don't think in the end, you know, a hundred years from now, when we're face to face with Jesus, I don't think we'll ever regret doing everything he asked us to do. And sometimes it's not going to make sense. And I I try to, you know, I try to talk to my daughters about that, right? And I mean, very recently we had a discussion around a bathing suit (laughs) and we were going to a church thing at the water park and just said, that's not the right bathing suit. I don't mind that you own that bathing suit. This is not the right place for that bathing suit. I remember processing things when I was in business development in, in the corporate America. Right? I want to wear the, the right thing for the right occasion. And so much of modesty is, is doing that. Is, is, again, back to that thoughtful word. What does the occasion call for and how can I be thoughtful?
3: Yeah, and and again, you know, cuz I'm I have sons, I have two boys. I'm thinking, well how does this how is this applicable in the context of sons and you know, on the one hand to be like very pragmatic about it, my boys really do like to wear the swim shirts. Mm-hmm. They feel like it's not modest mm-hmm. if they're running around shirtless, but you know, to make this a little bit because, you know, that is so pragmatic, but more abstract and transferably, I think it 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 again goes back to what is permissible within that context? Mm -hmm. Because I think they're less apt to feel that way if they were just with their family, you Mm -hmm. know, in our backyard in the pool versus when they have other people around. And there there, there aren't black and white answers to a lot of what we're struggling with. So Mm -hmm. much of it is contextual. But again, I keep coming back to like, what is the condition of the heart? Because that is the one thing that feels very solid, like a touchstone we can keep coming back to and rely on, because culture will change. And we were in San Diego this summer and at the Dell, and I was looking at the pictures of the 1920s and like the wetsuits that women had to mm-hmm. wear, and they were, you know, and and so again, so much of us has changed, and that felt excessive and unnecessary. But that was culture then, and so I think we go back to okay, in what ways as a Christian do I honor the Lord given the cultural context yeah. and. I'm sure somebody could do some sort of an, you know, gymnastics approach to like why it's okay to do whatever, but Mm -hmm. at at the end of the day, they have to give an answer for their heart before the Lord.
2: That's right. Yeah, because, you know, critics are going to say with knowledge of the Bible in the beginning. Yeah, you know, they were they were naked and unashamed, and so in, in Eden, you know, prior to sin, that yeah, there was, there they there was they did not have clothes, but they did not have shame either. So then, why why do we have to wear clothes? You'll get into these philosophical debates, and I, I go back to our words, honoring what is honoring and what is thoughtful.
1: So I yeah. do have one question and this is probably our last one. Um, and, and I think that we've thrown out so many helpful ideas with regard to con- a, a healthy approach to this, you know, particularly you guys have just, you know, said over and over, which is great, but being thoughtful and being really concerned with honoring the Lord and honoring, you know, those people around you, like those are the the core elements of what it means to have a modest posture. Um, I feel like there are some people who have who have basically taken the this idea and um, more or less like victimized other people because of it because they had a different definition of or it could be argued that they victimized, let's say that. Um, that they had a different definition of what it meant to be thoughtful or honoring the other person. How would you all speak into that situation? Because we're getting a little bit back to earlier what we were talking about with the cultural context, but when it comes to interpersonal um, interactions and even within the church, we do have at times different opinions of what that looks like. And so how do we as believers wrestle through that together in this area that it doesn't seem as gray of an area at times, you know, for, for at least one side.
3: Okay. Yeah. You know, so I think I'm going to answer it macro level and then we can kind of unpack that. But I, I think similar to a conversation related to this that we've heard about church hurt lately, and I mean, I feel like this is a pretty, you know, relevant um, conversation, pretty, pretty recent. But one of the things that I keep coming back to when I hear people talk about their church hurt, because I don't want to invalidate that, but a, a, an important question to ask people is like, were you hurt? by the whole Big C Church or even your local church or were you hurt by one person? And I think that similarly with purity culture and modesty in the church, I find, you know, I sit mostly with women and and listen to their stories, but when I'm listening to them, I'm like, one pastor might have said something that offended your spirit, whether he was, you know, in line or not, you know, it's sort of irrelevant here, but you're sort of holding all of purity culture or modesty in the church hostage, we're choosing a victim mentality or imposing this victim mentality on other people because of one comment or one person. and that really isn't like the holistic heart behind the church or behind modesty in the church or behind purity culture. And so again, I think it kind of goes back to like whittling down, okay, were you hurt by a message, a sermon taken out of context or misunderstood versus the entire philosophical theological undergirding of this.
2: Hmm. That's a word that I hope <laughs> I hope people clip that and listen to it again. I run into that all the time and it's not in in Maybe it was legit, like I mean maybe you had a bonehead pastor who said some really stupid things that were not that did not representative of the heart of God and so i I can just go literal a, a woman reached out and was was talking about purity culture and I just said, you know help, help me understand like what you, you have to define these terms and and she just said, you know I went through true love weights I'm like I'm, I'm thinking I went through true love weights you know." And and said, you know, I was told that I I need to to um, give sex to my husband anytime he wants on demand. I need to be readily available. I sh- I can't work outside the home. I can't do this. Can and I'm like, oh oh, oh man. Oh, I am so sorry. I'm I'm so sorry that that someone said, and it was a list of things, and we could just go through and and it's it's like let let me try to make that true. You know, I, I don't I don't know why he said that. Uh, this one, I think I know why he said it, but it's a misunderstanding. This one, and do I think I have the corner of on truth? No, I'm just confident he didn't. You know, even more so. And and so we bring in help, like let's gain clarity on that. And to your point, like you can't write off the whole church because of a representative. Like somebody might say, I used to work for AT and and someone might say, I hate AT and I hate at you don't hate at&t you had a bad call you know you had a poor customer service representative and that person didn't represent the organization well on that phone call right but you don't you, you still need a phone and you you know you've got to figure that out and so for us as we walk around with hurt or trauma a lot of times what's happening is you know if somebody's hurt by a pastor and I'm a pastor, they project all of that hurt on me, and it's almost like I did it. But I'm like, I didn't do it. I just met you, you know, and and you don't know what I believe. Give me a chance to talk through these things with you slowly, and uh, and let's take time and space to have the conversation. And and I think that's that's what's needed for healing, but also on a macro level too.
3: Yeah, that's good, and I think too, like so much of what we're discussing. There's, there's biblical threads that are redeemable within almost any conversation we can have. If it's feminism, I can find places where I'm like, Jesus would partner with that, and that's mm-hmm. actually really good, or you know, different critical theories that we can name. I'm like, actually, I really do see a lot of overlap between what Scripture teaches right. and what this – which is why it's even partial truths, right? But our job as believers is to – you know, superimpose a biblical worldview yeah. on it and to partner with that which speaks truth and yeah. to reject what doesn't. And so, I think to your point, you encounter people who have just sort of holistically accepted the whole narrative without discerning, okay, wait, what here actually aligns with scripture and what is just purely culture and needs to be rejected? And yeah. hats off to you, it's very gracious that you yeah. you you go low and yeah. you're like, I, I know you're projecting all this hurt onto me, let yeah. me walk you through.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Any dangerous truth? I mean, any dangerous lie is going to be partial truth. Yeah um, because the, you know we, we're able to spot bold face lies and oh, that's not real. but but which when it looks like truth? That's when it's really dangerous.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, I, real quick, what resources would you all? point someone to, if they're trying to sort through these issues, if they're trying to sort through these issues for their kids, for their ministry, what things out there, you know, because there's a lot, there's a lot of thoughts in this area and have been over time. What would you point to and say, man, you know, these one or two books or, you know, video series or whatever have handled this really well. And we would suggest this to someone.
2: Yeah, you're going to know better than I. I'm, I'm not. I'm not the the biggest reader ever, but um, you know, Mary Flo Ridley, uh, Birds and the Bees, I think is is that ministry. I, I like what they put out. And when you're trying to talk to children, it's good. Preston Sprinkle uh, has created some some resources for youth that has been uh, beneficial. We've actually used that here at Harris Creek in talking about uh, gender and sexuality. So those those two come to mind?
3: Uh, Jackie Hill Perry, mm-hmm. I think. We're talking specifically about gender and sexuality. She's got a lot of great just books and different content out there. I don't know specifically on purity culture. I feel like everything has been rejected. You know, when I think about different, I'm even hesitant to name resources because for every book I can name, there's five different criticism Mm -hmm. on them now, you know, but I would say to, I, I go back to anything that is apologetic space that teaches you to look at scripture. What does scripture say about this? I'm a big believer in people's ethos. I want to know the fruit of their life. You know, before I w- I want to listen to your book or your podcast. I want to know, like, well, do you actually have a healthy marriage? Mm-hmm. Are you like flourishing in this? Do you, you know, before I have to, you know, want to hear what they have to say on something? So I would just say as a litmus. I don't know if that is a resource, but as a litmus. Look through the lens of what is Scripture actually saying about this before you just wholesale accept what somebody is teaching you, because not all teaching is profitable out there.
2: Some would say outdated. You know, an amazing resource out <laughs> it's there. It's his book.
3: It's his book. <laughs> outdated. Is a <it> good? <laughs> <laughs> this is the part where we plug his book. No, uh, no out- outdated is I'm a joking. good book. I um, ended up getting three in the mail. I ordered one, yeah. and then your team sent me two, and I gave them to my <laughs> college we students. Can't,
2: we can't give them away. Okay, that's that's the reality. We're just, somebody wants one, we send them three.
1: <laughs> so if anybody wants one, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I purchased <laughs> one. But
3: but I would say it's for singles, right? It's for yep. singles dating. Yep. Outdated. I have given that book to a number of college students, mm-hmm. actually at least three well
1: Well, i just want to thank you guys so much our time is up but we i really appreciate just being the opportunity to sit and chat with you all on this it has been a lovely conversation
2: thanks for having
3: us
1: thank you kim appreciate you and we want to thank those of you who are listening and just ask you to be sure and join us next time when we discuss issues of god and culture. thanks for listening to the table podcast Dallas
3: Theological Seminary, teach truth, love well.